You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. Last week, as we launched it, we started, we mentioned the fact that faith is very personal, isn't it? Your faith is very, very personal to you. It's, it's something that's very deep and, and something that really is unique to you. But even though it's personal, our faith was never intended to be individualistic. It was never intended to be lived in isolation by yourself alone. We looked at Acts chapter 2, and we see there that when the early church formed, when it first began, that they gathered together, and they ate together, and they shared meals, and they prayed together, and they basically shared life together. They shared what they had with each other. It says that no one had need because they shared what they had, and miracles occurred, and people came to Christ, and it really was kind of a cool time, I think, to be alive as far as just the formation of the church and what was happening, and very exciting time. But then we also discussed that even though this idea of community and being together, it's very compelling, and we like the idea of it, we sometimes find it very challenging. And so we looked at a number of reasons why that is. Sometimes because life is messy and uh, things just don't work out. And sometimes the people we're with, you know, it's just a weird uncle kind of thing, you know, that is part of our group. And there's always someone in the group who's a little bit off from the rest. And, you know, that's part of it. And part of it is that we're really busy and things going on. And so we just don't have time and we don't make time for it. And some of us just, we just want to go alone. We just think we can do better by ourselves. And so sometimes that's what happens. And, but we landed on this idea that community, this idea of sharing life with other Christ followers, it's God's idea. It was God's idea. It wasn't something that was created by some leaders in a church. This was from the very beginning. And that's where we're going to pick up today. We're going to pick up this idea that this idea of community is God's idea. God exists in community got the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God exists in this, in Trinity, in community. It's interesting, if you look at the Old Testament law, I mean, that's what it's known for, and it's the law of Moses, and it is a long list of do's and don'ts, and all kinds of regulations, and, but all of it is based upon Ten Commandments. You're familiar with the story, some of you may have seen the movie, um, but you've got um, the Ten Commandments given to Moses by God. Of those Ten Commandments, all of them, all ten of them are about relationships. It's about how we relate. Four of them, if you look at Exodus chapter 20, four of them are about our relationship with God. The other six are about our relationship with one another. But all ten of them, the law is based upon relationship. Jesus summarized, in, when he was walking on the earth and when his followers, he summarized what matters most to God in two statements. Love God and love people. Again, for Jesus, it was all about relationships. It was about people. Relationships, not our acquisitions, not the things we attain, not our accomplishments, not our status, not our income, not any of those things. Relationships are what matter most in life. Fullness of life is discovered in community, not isolation. Paul picks up on this idea of community in a lot of his letters. But with him, he said, it's not just a value. It's not just something good to think about. For Paul, it's a necessity. It's a sense of, of necessity that we really can't exist without this 
this, uh, the element of community in our lives. And our, our passage you want to look at, uh, uh, kind of a jumping off point this morning, is from Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. We're going to start there. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've uh, looked at your word and we've are looking at this idea of community and we've now heard some of the words of Paul, Father, I pray that as we dig a little deeper that we'll have a better sense of what that means to us and why that's important. And Lord, maybe there's some things in our life that you want to address in that area. So Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would speak uh, to whatever need might be in present in our lives this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, how many of you are familiar with uh, Malcolm Gladwell, an author, writer? He's written some books. Some of you uh, are familiar. He wrote a book um, uh, about 10 years ago, 2008, called Outliers. Um, fascinating book. It's, it's, uh, I really, I actually love all his stuff. But his, 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 his book's about how do we think about great people? The people who we think are, man, these are just, these are just so far beyond the rest of us. They're outliers. They're beyond, they're outside the normal, what we would consider to be normal. Um, one of the people he talks about is Bill Gates. Now, the story about Bill Gates for all of us is relatively familiar. I mean, some of us may know that he dropped out of Harvard as a sophomore to start, you know, his own company to see if he could make a go of it when commuters, computers. Um, we all know how that turned out. Turned out pretty well for him. Um, and for us, um, the, the, the perception of Bill Gates is largely that he's a brilliant man who had what it took to change the world and did it with Microsoft and what came out and through the computer industry. What Gladwell does, though, in his book is he rolls back the curtain a little bit, or he pulls back the curtain a little bit on Gates' life, so we have a little better sense of how that happened, which I think is fascinating. For most people, what they don't know is that Gates, Bill Gates was born into a family that was fairly well-to-do. His dad was an attorney. Um, that he was, I guess, he was fairly well-advanced academically at an early age and that he was getting bored in public schools. They put him in a private school. They put him in a private school, though. He lived in the Seattle area. So in the seventh grade, he was put into a private school. Two years later, this school buys a computer that has a connection to a mainframe in Seattle. Like, this is the late 60s. No one had this kind of computer set up or network. Universities didn't have it yet. Somehow, this school, this private school for high school kids, had this computer capability when Bill Gates was there at this point in time. Bill Gates was, it says that he was obsessive about programming. Programming in those days was very complicated. It's very different from what we have today. But he literally 
They said by the time he finished high school, he spent over 10,000 hours programming in front of a computer. He also lived just down the road from the University of Washington, which they, so a year or two after that, which these kind of computers became more prominent, University of Washington got one of these, actually a little bit more advanced. He, was, he found out that there was no one scheduled to use this computer between every night between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Every night, Bill Gates snuck out of his house, walked to the University of Washington, was on our computers for three hours. It's funny, the story came out later and his mom says, we could never figure out why we could never wake him up in the morning to go to school. Um, it's because he'd been out all night programming. But someone there let him in and let him have free access to the computer, which any other time of the day, people had to pay to have time on the computer. He got it for free during his time. Basically, what, what Malcolm Gladwell, he does, he lays out, there's nine specific events in Bill Gates' life Nine events where someone made a decision that Bill Gates had no control over, but they made a decision that directly influenced his life. Any one of those nine had been pulled out of the, out of the equation, and Bill Gates wouldn't be here today in the, what he, we, in the way that we know him. Now, make no mistake, Bill Gates is brilliant. And he worked insane hours. He put in the effort. He did what he needed to do. And, and there's nothing Gladwell brings out. He was born at the right time. He said if Bill Gates had been born five years earlier, he would have went into the IBM track with computers and he would have missed this computer revolution. If it had been five years later, it would have passed him by. It would have already taken off and he would have been, he would never be. So the, the idea here was that there's so many things that were beyond his control that influenced him. And, and specifically, it was just people. And there's one thing I appreciate. I, I've heard different interviews with Bill Gates, and um, when you listen to him talk, there's a humility about him. And he's not arrogant and brash, and he recognizes that he is where he is today because a lot of people helped him get there. Now, that's not, again, not to diminish his contributions and his effort and time and skill, but he knows he didn't get there by himself. That's what Paul is talking about in this passage we just read. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. You didn't get to where you're at by yourself. And with this, in this context, I think there's three takeaways from Paul's words that we can look at here this morning. One is that first you need others and others need you. The story of Bill Gates is an easy example of the need of the idea that we need others in our life. We do. I think all of us, if we reflect back on our lives, realize there's key, there's teachers or parents or maybe some other leader, someone else in our life that had influence that helped put us and help us become who we are today. We need others. But what's also just as true, and sometimes we sometimes downplay, others need us. I know that some of you serve in, in the nursery here. It's one of those inglorious um, roles and functions that, I mean, there's, there's very little praise. You know, there's no, celeb no celebratory. It's usually a good day for you is like, you know, no one got hurt and, you know, and, and there's, but there's, it's, 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 so here's, here's the thing though. I would hope, I would hope that 
No one ever would look, if you're doing that, or any other kind of role that's behind the scenes, and there's a lot of things, there's a lot of roles and a lot of functions that happen to make our time here every Sunday work, and even beyond, even beyond this, our Sundays. I would hope that anyone who would serve in that role would not look at the role as insignificant or not invaluable. I, when, and I think I may have shared this story in the past, but there was one time when we were or at a, at a we lived in Connecticut, the church, we were on staff there, and there was a conversation uh, Betsy was having with a woman. Her, their church, we had a, a, it was a much larger congregation, and we had uh, a number of kids that were special needs. And so it was really, it, the kids couldn't sit for an hour in any one place, and so we had what we called shadows. So these were adults who, these were kids who were old enough to kind of walk around. Um, they weren't going to hurt anything, but they needed to have a chaperone with them. And so rather than trying to force them in a classroom where they would become disruptive, you know, one of the, adults, one of the shadows said, hey, let's go take a walk. And they would walk and they'd talk to them and engage them and, you know, and bring them back a little bit. But this one woman was just was lamenting the fact that her, her, she said, this is all I, I can do. This is like so insignificant and I basically chase a little child around. And I remember feeling like, are you kidding me? Because you do that, they're... This child's parents, who, because of the child's disabilities, there's an extra stress and pressure on the parents during the week. They now have an hour, maybe an hour and a half, where they know that their child is in good hands. They're free to engage and participate in a worship service where maybe they encounter God in a way that changes their life. Maybe it's they're encountered. Maybe they're, they're connecting with other people that can help them and literally because you're willing to do this, you allow their parents to be in a position that could literally change the destiny of that family because you don't know what God might do while they're there with other people in the service. Don't ever think, whatever your role is, don't ever think it's insignificant or not as important. We need others and others need us. Some of the things I think that are noticed the least are actually needed the most. Second thing, second takeaway, I think, is that if you, you have a role to fulfill and a responsibility to others. Paul reminds us that within the human body, each body part belongs to the whole body. You don't get one part without the others. It comes as a package deal. The same is true with the body of Christ. And if you consider Grace Covenant Statesville your community of faith, not only do you have a place among us, you have a role to fill. We need you. We really do. We desperately need you. Third, I think you have been given gifts that add value to the community. There are three different gift lists in the New Testament. Um, these are, are passages in Scripture where there's multiple gifts identified. What's interesting is all, so, so that there's uh, Romans 12, the one, one we just read, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, the three, what they refer to as gift passages. What's interesting is all three lists are written by Paul. No two of them are alike. So what does that tell us? Basically, it tells us this. Paul's not trying to be exact in his lists. He's not saying, hey, here is the list of spiritual gifts there's probably many, many more. It's not trying to be exclusive or limiting that. So then how are we, how are we to understand this list of seven gifts? As with the passage we read there, Paul identifies seven prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, governing, and helping. These are very diverse 
lists from uh, serving and, and giving and encouraging to prophesying and governing, very different uh, types of gifts. Basically, I think what Paul's trying to tell us is that whatever you have to offer, do it. Whatever it is that you, you have, give it. Do it. We need you. So the question sometimes for many people is, how do you know what your gift is? And, uh, you know, we, as part of our partnership class, one of the sessions is, is, is dealing with spiritual gifts. And there's, there's, there's actually it's been probably now 30 years on the market that you find, you can Google spiritual gift tests. So you can take all kinds of things. They have limited value in, in my perspective. Um, b- largely because they're based on experience. So you don't have experience in a certain thing, you're going to score low on that particular gift. So the most we can say is this is a snapshot of you today at this moment, at this time. Six hours from now, you could have a very different experience that might reflect differently on that test. So, so if you take one of those kind of tests, just, it's, not, it's not predictive of the future. It's, take, it's talking about you right here and now. So there's, that's one way you can actually kind of, you can do something very um, Oh, what's the right word? Quantitative, if you want to do that. From a qualitative standpoint, or just, here's what I always tell people. What's your passion? What do you get excited about doing? Do you like kids? Well, find somewhere to... You know, if, if, the other thing's true. If you don't like kids, don't come talking to Kate or Alex about, you know, working. No. Um, uh, actually, we, we didn't do that with our all-star camp. Did we? I said, Even if you don't like kids, we need your help. We'll put you behind the scenes uh, uh, so you don't have to. Have, you know what I'm saying? What do, you, what, what do you enjoy doing? And, and it doesn't have to follow your career either. Sometimes, you know, hey, if, you know, you think that, hey, if someone's in like an accounting or finance that, well, they're going to be this in the church. Well, no, that's your job. But maybe what really excites you is leading a Bible study for, you know, young people or something. And so what is your passion? What excites you? And here's what I've discovered. Your gifting will never be contrary to how God has made you. In other words, your passion, what you enjoy doing, your gifts will be consistent that you're going to enjoy them because this is the way God had made you. So, let's just say, well, I still don't know what that is. You know, I got a lot of interests or maybe I'm not even sure what I want to do. And in that case, you just have to jump in. You do. So much of life is you just got to try it and see what happens. And you have to get involved. You cannot use your gifts sitting on the sidelines. You know, I mentioned uh, Mike uh, Price and leads the the Saturday morning men's thing. And so when... um, Six, seven months ago, when he took the point, or he took leadership of that, we had a similar conversation, and he was unsure. He said, oh, I'm just, I'm wrestling with this. It's really what I should be doing. And I said, well, let's try it. Let's give it six months, and let's see what happens. And he invested himself, and he, he, he did a great job leading, um, but he called me, you know, we talked this past week. He goes, you know, it just isn't me. It's, just, I, it's not that I'm against. I don't want it. It's just, it's just, I said, well, then that's not where you should be. So let's, we'll rethink that. And let's, you need to find a place that excites you. It needs to be something that gives you energy and it doesn't just suck the life out of you um, uh, each, each, uh, whenever you serve. So remember, we're talking about gifts in the context of community. So what might this look like here at Grace Covenant Statesville? 
I think community gives you the opportunity to live out love. I've seen this demonstrated in so many ways since I became your pastor 15 months ago. Pastor Farrell and Stan have shared similar stories. Um, we've talked together is that you go to the hospital to visit someone and you discover their life group, members of the life group have been there way before you were. They've already got meals coordinated. They've got, you know, someone's going to be cutting the grass. They've got all this. It's like, wow, this is amazing. I love it. Sometimes I've gotten an email or text from you just saying, hey, I'm thinking about you today, praying for you. You know, I hope things are going well. John chapter 13, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. This is Jesus talking. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I just think that it's interesting that the distinguishing feature of Christians, of Christ followers, is not the wealth of Bible knowledge they have. It's not um, how good of a life they can live. It's based entirely on how they treat one another and how they live life together. What characterizes the Christian community is their demonstration of love for one another. I also think community creates a place for encouragement and support. My hope and prayer is that each of us finds encouragement when we gather together each Sunday. Songs we sing, the words might be spoken from a friend, maybe words from the sermon, presence of the Holy Spirit that gives us hope and encouragement, and that's wonderful. I'll be honest, though, I think the idea of support will be limited. It just is. It's just, it's just a different dynamic. There's a limit to what, we can be, what can be accomplished on a Sunday morning here at church. A group environment is where we find the best support. I'm in a part of an accountability group. There's four other guys, and we meet uh, periodically, and uh, not too long ago, actually it was a number of months ago, I walked into our, went to our meeting, and we're getting together, and I, I essentially hijacked the meeting. And I said, listen, I've got something going on here. I need to talk. I need, to, we, I need, I need your help. And so for the next 45 minutes, I kind of just told them, here's what's going on. And they asked questions, and just, we just worked through this, and they encouraged me, and they prayed for me. That next week would follow up, say, hey, how's it, you know, what's going? And I couldn't have done that anywhere else except that environment with some other guys whom I trusted, who I knew had my best interests in mind. Very different group. It's not like we all hang out together and we're all best friends because we are very different personality-wise but there's become a trust and a connection that we've been able to share. <clears throat> I've discovered also that community enhances our spiritual development. Remember, Jesus, as he's talking, Jesus says that spiritual maturity comes from our ability to love God and love others. Love God and love others. Let me be so bold as to say one cannot grow in their faith unless they are in some form of community with other Christ followers. You might have a lot of knowledge and connection with God, and that's great, but this idea of maturing in your faith can only happen in the context of a relationship with other Christ followers. Proverbs 27 tells us that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So what's the image being portrayed here in this verse? <clears throat> Obviously, there's a metal-on-metal metal friction that's causing one to sharpen the other. So what's the implication for us? I don't think it's that relationships are hard and painful. 
Because um, I've heard that, you know, this idea of iron, sharpening iron, it's painful. I would say it's this way. Just as a sword cannot be sharpened without contact with another form of metal, we cannot grow spiritually without interaction with others. That's the way God designed it. Another feature of community, community meets practical needs and opens your eyes to the needs of others. Uh, when we were in uh, Connecticut, um, we learned that there was a man who was in the hospital. He got upset with the pastoral staff because no one had come to visit him while he was in the hospital. And in a conversation with him later, you know, I asked him, you know, I said, are you, you know, in a life group? And he uh, said, no. Uh, are you in any kind of group? No. Um, did you call the church to let us know that you were in the hospital? Did anyone call us to let us know? No. Um, so how are we supposed to know that you're in the hospital? And I get, a, and I get the comment is something, I've heard this similar ways, a shepherd should know his sheep. First off, that reference is from the book of John, and it's talking about Jesus. Jesus looks at himself, says, I am the good shepherd, I know my sheep. And he's talking about, he knows those who have committed their lives to him and are, and are saved. This is not in any way supposed to be about the human inter- relationships within a, a church congregation. First off, I'm not Jesus, you know, so having, many of you already know that. Um, LAUGHTER <laughs> That's a good thing Betsy's not here. She would have had a big amen at that point in time. So second, as your shepherd, it's, we'll use that analogy, we've said the way that we care for and support people is through groups. You can choose not to be in a group. That's fine. That's your choice. And, and, and let's be honest, there are a lot of groups out there. It doesn't necessarily even have to be a Grace Covenant group. But there needs to be some connectedness and but if, it, if your choice, if you choose not to be in a group, you can't now blame us then for not being aware of what's going on in your life because that's the mechanism that we've set up to be able to do that. Folks, we're in this together. And it doesn't work unless we're willing to share our lives together. Lastly, community brings out your best. You've had a chance to meet some of our uh, group leaders. Um, and again, if you're not already in a group, take some time to talk and connect with them and just to see if that might be of interest, if it fits your schedule. Um, I know that with most of them, the topics change. And so um, you might be doing something with them uh, now that maybe the topic doesn't interest you as much, but maybe next month it will a change. And, uh, but that's still, it's the relational dynamic that I think is very critical and very important. So I encourage you, um, you know, hang her out, get some coffee. We're even going to bribe you with ice cream today. We actually do. That's on all the campuses um, as we're launching groups that we've, we've got uh, some ice cream. I think there's uh, Snickers, M&M's, and Twix ice cream with a little bar. So uh, some of you are gr- mumbling and murmuring. So I'm hoping that's a good thing. But if you want, to, let me say this. If you want to be in a group and none of them currently work for you, and that's very possible. We're, we don't, it's not like we've got 80, you know, different groups for you to pick from. There's a limit. So maybe one doesn't work for you. I love the idea of adding new groups. Some, I've heard, you know, some would say, you know, wouldn't it be kind of fun to, they verbalize the idea, wouldn't it be fun to have like a walking group? You know, we're just a group of us, you know, we get to go for a walk and 
o'clock and pray. And that's great. And someone else has mentioned some of the idea of starting maybe a, like a mops group for preschoolers. And I love those ideas. And, but here's what needs to happen for any new group we want to start. And I think I want this to be kind of all the way we do things is that you need to find someone else to do it with you. So before we even launch it or say, hey, we've got a new group, there's going to be at least two people that says we're committed to make it happen. Otherwise, it just becomes awkward and it doesn't start on the right. It needs to. Ecclesiastes 4 tells us that two are better than one because they've had a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man or woman who falls and has no one to help him up. So my preference before we start any new group is that we've got two people that says, I'm committed to make this happen. One of the most common phrases in the New Testament is one another. One another. Share life with one another. They love one another. Supported one another. They gave to one another. They, all these one another passages and references. And God's intention for us is to be in community with other Christ followers. In relationship with one another. And I realize that at, at some of you have other relational dynamics that and maybe there's a group you're committed to, that's great. We're not in no way asking you to leave any group you're part of, nor are we wanting you to, to, to do things that don't work and fit for you. But if you're not in some type of a community relationship, some kind of a community um, fellowship uh, group, I really would encourage you to make that a matter of prayer. God, what's out there? And would you even be so bold if, if there's nothing out there to say, God, is there something you might want me to be a part of getting going? Sometimes that you may not even have to be the leader, but because you express an interest, someone else says, yeah, me too. And God's been challenging me that. And all of a sudden you talk and something emerges out of that that could be really life transforming, not just for you, but for other people as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, the chance we've had to be here together to worship, to celebrate, to acknowledge you in our lives. We've done that with our voices as we've sung. Father, we acknowledge you in a very tangible, practical ways with our giving, our offerings, and, and that is just such a wonderful form of worship. And Lord, we've had a chance to hear your word and reflect and dig a little deeper into Paul's words and uh, Father, in this idea of community. Lord, I, I have no doubt that your passion and your commitment to a community of relationship. And Father, if there's any here this morning who would not be in a community, and Lord, I just pray that would be desire that grows within them. Lord, I, I don't want anyone to feel condemned or judged, but Lord, I just feel like they, they just sense that there's something missing. There's something more, there's something more that's available to them that they, they currently don't have. May they find that in community. May they maybe connect with someone here and uh, maybe find one of our existing groups or, Lord, maybe new groups will come as a result of today. That is just such a great thing. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.